Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. And this is going to be on pancreatic tumors. I'm not going to be speaking about adenocarcinoma, but I'm going to be speaking about certain select tumors that I think are important to recognize and some key points. I'll also speak a little bit about pancreatic cysts and how we manage them. Uh, pancreatic cysts these days tend to be one of the biggest challenges in radiology. We know that up to 3% of patients have cysts on CT scan incidentally. These were patients who were not even looking for pancreatic pathology. And in fact, this was at 16 slides, we found 2.6%. The better the scanner, the more cysts you see because you see smaller cysts. Uh, other articles based on CT data up to 5%. Most of these cysts are, uh, or cystic lesions are incidental IPMNs. But the issue is, what do you do with them? How do you follow them? How often do you follow them? Cystic lesions over three centimeters, most people will say you have to resect them. But what do you do with the smaller ones? How often do you get follow-up? What do you do? And perhaps are we certain there are cystic lesions and benign cystic lesions? Can they be cystic neuroendocrine tumors or cystic pancreatic cancers? Um, there's no doubt that the frequency of incidental pancreatic lesions is very dependent on scan protocols, slice thickness, injection rate. It's easier to see on contrast scans, particularly venous phase, than it is on non-contrast CT, easier to see on targeted than non-targeted images. And in fact, one could get a feel of how the percent would go up if you're very careful because this 1MR study spoke about 20% of patients had incidental pancreatic cysts. So the numbers are indeed very high. Now, if we look at pancreatic cysts, and I'll cover some of the basic cystic lesions, but not all of them. That'll be a talk called pancreatic cystic lesions. But if we look at pseudocysts as related to pancreatitis, we'll touch on cirrocyst adenomas, classic cirrocyst adenomas, surely. We'll talk about mucinous cystic neoplasms and a bit on IPMNs. So pseudocysts are not uncommon. Usually, of course, it's a history. The patients had pancreatitis, recent or remote, but the patients had pancreatitis. You may see a well-defined pseudocyst from a centimeter to 10 centimeters. Most commonly, the fluid collections or pseudocysts go to the lesser sac, go to the anterior pararenal space, left greater than right. You may see local inflammation in patients with chronic pancreatitis or repeated episodes of pancreatitis. You may see glandular calcifications as well. The gland may be inflamed and enlarged. Usually, pancreatitis with pseudocysts is not a difficult diagnosis because of the history. Again, in terms of what happens with pseudocysts, most of them get smaller with time. They resolve over time. Sometimes, on the other hand, they don't resolve, and you need to drain the pseudocyst. Cyst gastroscopy might be one treatment. About half of them will resolve spontaneously. Complications from pseudocysts might be infection, obstruction, even the sequela of pseudoaneurysms. As I mentioned, pseudocysts can track anywhere, can present as posterior mediastinal masses, can present as pelvic masses, but lesser sac and the anterior pararenal spaces left more than right are the places we think about. Pseudocysts, well-defined, you can see in this case pushing into the stomach, or you can see in this case tracking and tracking into the spleen. Patients can develop splenic pseudocysts right, because at the splenic hilum, 
artery and vein track in, but there's no capsule there. Pseudocysts can track along the artery and vein, go into the spleen. This can cause all sorts of problems. The patients are more prone to splenic rupture. Those are the patients also who can get splenic artery aneurysms. And I won't speak more about pseudocysts. We'll speak about that in a separate talk on pancreatitis. Serous adenomas. They're about 20% of primary cystic pancreatic neoplasms, and the majority, the significant majority, are benign, and they're typically called cystic adenomas. Remember in the old days, we talk about microcystic and macrocystic lesions. It's classically described as a multilocular cystic mass with a stellate scar, a central stellate scar, and the scar may be in part calcified. So that's kind of the classic thing. Predilection for middle-aged and older women. Again, it's usually discovered incidentally, though other patients can present with abdominal pain, mass, or join this if it's obstructing the distal common duct. When you ask me what are the classic CT appearances, multiple cysts, thin septation, central scar with central calcification, that is classic, okay? There's another variety, which is an oligocystic, one big cyst, Truthfully, that's hard to distinguish in, in older patients from an MCN or mucinous cystic neoplasm. It can't be difficult to distinguish from an IPN when it's smaller. and it can even look like a pseudocyst. A key thing on EUS, unlike IPMNs, uh, serocyst adenomas contain glycogen but no mucin. And if you look at some numbers, average age is in the late 60s, and I commented it's more common in women. Article by Choi, serous adenomas have various distinguishing features, and we typically will classify them as polycystic, honeycomb, or oligocystic. Okay, there are the three types. And just to show you that polycystic is the one we classically think about, you can see here oligocystic, a nice simple cyst. You can see microcystic, the classic one with multiple small cysts and essential calcification. You can see the third pattern, which shows you very nicely a cystic lesion with a solid component, and in that you worry about neoplasm. Or the fourth one, a real truly solid mass. To me, these look identical to neuroendocrine tumors, and they're often called neuroendocrine tumors. It's very hard to call something a cyst adenoma when it looks identical to this case. Now, as I mentioned, the multiple cysts, the polycystic pattern, is most common. It's about 70% of cases. And when you talk about the cysts, they're under 2 centimeters. The central scar calcifying is almost classic for the diagnosis. The honeycomb pattern is the second most common. These used to be called the microcystic cyst adenomas because the cysts are under a centimeter in size. And often there's so many cysts, one cannot separate them. It kind of looks like lots of holes in Swiss cheese. And I mentioned before this oligocystic type, which is the least common, uh, maybe a few cysts or maybe even just a single cyst. So this is the one I said can be confused with MCNs. There are some atypical presentations of serous adenomas. They can have ductilitation, they can bleed. I mentioned solid tumors. They can grow and they can spread or at least spread locally. So it's somewhat of a challenging diagnosis. Some things about serous adenomas are important to know. They can grow over time, even the benign ones, and they're all benign. Typically, 5 cm or greater, the patients will get resection. Serous adenomas are more common in patients with von Hippel-Lindau disease, and when they occur, they're more common in the pancreatic head. 
Though they can occur anywhere in the pancreas, the head is the most common location. When you speak about MCNs, which look very similar, they're more common in the body and body-tail junction. Couple examples, very nice serous cyst adenoma, nice cystic lesion, classic thing, no dilated pancreatic duct, multiple septations. Oh, here's another one. Here you can see what looks like enhancement around the edge. That's simply the fact that the serous cyst adenoma, which is not obstructing pancreatic duct or common duct, is stretching the artery. The SMA and GDA are stretched over the lesion. I often find that on the coronal view, particularly toward the venous phase, the multiple cystic components of the lesion are best defined. Now, if you think about it for a second, what cystic lesion is not going to cause duct obstruction in the pancreas when it's this large? That's why you've got to be thinking of a serous cyst adenoma. Sometimes it's a tricky diagnosis, but uh, you've got to be thinking that way. Sometimes you need EUS, and when they're over 5 centimeters, they are going to come out. Now, I mentioned the solid pattern, which is somewhat rare, but I am seeing it more frequently. And the thing about it is it has a hypervascular appearance on CT. And to me, it really looks like a neuroendocrine tumor. Here's just an example. Tail of pancreas, that looks like a neuroendocrine tumor. Serous cyst adenoma, you're thinking cystic, you're thinking septations, you're thinking central calcifications. This mass, look at the 3D imaging. There's some cystic components, but I would have thought that was necrosis. So again, these are somewhat of a challenge. And these these will often be resected. The, the uh, solid pattern, um, again, uh, is somewhat of a challenge. There's some lesions which are both cystic and solid. Serous cyst adenomas can have intramural or intratumoral hemorrhage, but this is fairly uncommon. This could make a lesion look solid, but usually I can recognize when there's hemorrhage present. Another example this is a fantastic case. Look at the head of the pancreas, cystic lesion septations, that's a serous cyst adenoma. What's that in the tail of the pancreas? That was a large accessory spleen. What a great case. And we'll take up accessory spleens a different day, but very nice example. You can see on the uh, MIP imaging that the, the hepatic artery, the GDA are displaced. The GDA is stretched over the lesion. It's not invaded, it's not narrowed, and you see some prominent vascularity. That's the hallmark of serous cyst adenomas. Just a beautiful example, one more set of views. And sometimes on the venous phase, you even see the cystic components better, which is the story here. So that's serous cyst adenomas, very, very classic. Sometimes it's not so easy, and I'm gonna give you a talk um, probably in a couple of weeks to really look at some of the difficult diagnoses that relate to serous cyst adenomas. Now, I mentioned when I spoke about serous cyst adenomas, I mentioned mucinous cystic neoplasms of the pancreas. Fifth and fourth decade of life, almost only in women, usually in the body or body-tail junction or in the tail of the pancreas, it does not communicate with the pancreatic duct. And they're usually over two centimeters in size. Often it's a single lesion, but they can be multiple. Again, from a path perspective, it's easy. These lesions contain ovarian-type stroma. In terms of key findings, smooth contour may have a thick enhancing wall, but in my experience, it's often thin. Occasionally, peripheral calcifications and may even have thicker septations. When they have thick septations, you're worrying about malignancy. You look at this case, the problem here is, you know, if I said a serous cyst adenoma, you would say correct. And this is a, a good example of where MCNs, or mucinous cystic neoplasms, look identical to serous cyst adenomas, and that was not a mistake. 
Another example, here's a lesion, tail of pancreas, well-defined, thinking IPMN, but there's no ductilatation, it's a bit distal, well-defined, water density, that was an MCN. Another example, tail of pancreas or body-tail junction, cystic lesion, well-defined, no septations, no nodularity, no calcifications. I favored an MCN. Most surgeons will remove MCNs, and that's what this turned out to be. So a very important diagnosis and one we could look at very carefully. Now the next lesion I want to address is IPMNs, and IPMs are a very important diagnosis. It really is those lesions we are picking up incidentally. The thing about them, it's an older population, it's more common in men, uh, typically it arises from the pancreatic duct, usually the main pancreatic duct. Uh, when you have a main pancreatic duct over a centimeter, then you have to worry about a main duct or a central IPMN. Typically, when we speak about IPMNs, we speak about the cystic lesions that do attach to the pancreatic duct. Uh, main duct IPMNs are the ones that are of most concern because of real high incidence of malignancy. The patients with IPMNs, the concern and the reason we follow them is because they potentially can develop cancer. It's basically a field defect and you're trying to prevent pancreatic cancer. So it indeed is a very, very important diagnosis. Now, as we mentioned about IPMNs, there's so much work going on trying to figure out how you follow the patients, can we separate which ones we need to follow? Who needs CT? Who needs MR? Who needs the US? Who needs a combination? And those are the questions that people are asking. And I'll tell you what, before I tell you the answer, or at least my version of the answer, let's take a five minute break. <laughs> 